Jesus, Our House of Prayer, The Art of Abiding, by Don C. Vineyard, read by Don C. Vineyard, page one, The Setting. Honestly, I'm not sure when the desire to read the Psalms from a pure Jesus point of view originated. When I was first born into spirit oneness with God through the cross of Christ and the wonder of his resurrection in the fall of 1980, the journey of love and wonder began. A love story to be sure, the love of a father toward this prodigal. During the first six months of my life in my brand new interface with Holy Spirit, I was alone with Father, Son, Spirit, not yet fully aware of what had happened to me. Another story for another time. In the spring of 81, the day before Mother's Day, I awakened to the fact that Jesus had answered my prayer and I had been living for six months in a brand new awareness, a spirit awareness. Or was it capital S, spirit awareness? It was spirit-to-spirit -spirit awareness, to be sure. My first and rather immediate response to that was to seek out the person whose testimony had led me to the prayer action of inviting Jesus to sit on and rule from the throne of my heart. It's important how a person is led to pray their first prayer of introduction to Jesus. Now, unsuspecting of the religious maze that I yet had to navigate, I began my journey of oneness with God. Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. What a contrast in culture. Sunday mornings were rather rigid, but still full of life. Holy Spirit managed to guide us through wooden pews, sit-down, stand-up commands, formal hymns, three-point sermons, full of grace and truth. How wonderful! The so-called church was Methodist, but could have been nearly any other flavor because the love of the pastor carried the day. The pastor was full of the Holy Spirit and grace, grace, grace of God. That was what made it work. Unbeknownst to me, the church government was held hostage by religious non-believers who were involved in other kinds of groups that influenced their thinking and therefore the policies and ideas that they promoted. I was blissfully ignorant. All that I knew is that Jesus was preached and worshipped. Jesus was the object of our adoration. Holy Spirit was especially free in the basement of the church on Wednesday nights for prayer and worship. Bring your own instrument. And in the homes of mature believers who had been saved at least a year before me. Wednesday nights were a magnificent affair with hungry people coming in from every local denomination and sharing various stories and testimonies of people getting saved every week. Healings, dreams, visions, revelation of the scriptures through Holy Spirit intervention. What an exciting time to be born of spirit. Other days of the week, I would be magnetically attracted to the houses of these people of light. Fellowship had attraction with power. The cassette tape teaching ministry was booming in those days. I was exposed to some very sound teaching from a man by the name of Malcolm Smith. I was very hungry and devoured the teaching. The cassettes would play throughout the day while I labored in my one-man woodworking shop. 
devoted to teaching, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. We were seeing signs and wonders all the time in those days. Believers flowed together across denominational lines through regional men's and women's groups of international fame. It was a unique time to begin my journey. After a few years, the denomination packed up our spirit-filled pastor and moved him and his family elsewhere. This began the period of discovering the hidden rottenness of sin and the Antichrist spirit within the corporation that ran the church. The blatant sin of a new pastor was publicly exposed, causing quite a stir, and the committees of the church run by those not particularly interested in God or Holy Spirit, and especially not interested in Jesus, began guiding pastoral searches. In panic, the band of fellowship broke up with members all going their own way looking for a safe place to land. Through the years, there remained an ongoing searching for this safe place. Our yearning hearts were spoiled forever by our taste of living according to the biblical pattern. The fullness of spirit promised to those who gather in the name of Jesus would never stop ringing, keep us ever knocking, ever seeking, ever asking for the place of pure fellowship with one another in the presence of Father. Holy Spirit comfort, leading and guiding, teaching and convicting, not just in the context of one, but more specifically in the context of the many as one. Through the passing of time, the clarity of new covenant awareness both increased and decreased on a coinciding course. While it increased to me personally, I began to become aware of the reality that the church which met in political corporate boxes was no longer breaking out of its separations. Those men's and women's groups that spanned our boxes fell into disuse. Instead, each began promoting their own brand of religion with increasing fervor, and the life of fellowship was relegated to fellowship within the local expression of each corporation. Although pastors would remain friendly with one another to varying degrees, and events of gathering would still happen on occasion, the focus shifted from the joyful centrality of Jesus to the self-importance of each group. Subtly, a sense of superior slash inferior began to be fostered, and the intrinsic honor toward the anointing in each individual took a whispered turn toward viewing getting together as a chance to showcase our superior worship in ways rather than the original design of sharing the life that we share with Jesus with one another. If only we would walk in the light as he is in the light, surely we would have fellowship with one another. My individual longing for worship clarity never ceased, and though it ebbed and flowed through the years, the consistent desire to worship and be led by Holy Spirit never released me from its faithful grip. Many others kept the same hunger, yet others fell asleep in religion, while some left the religious structures altogether. Of course, there were also those who left their bodies in the ground while joyfully going to dwell in perfect light with Jesus in spirit. This consuming love of God has likewise kept my whole being immersed in his word. While studying ardently on my own through the years, 
I also came into a condensed time of study at a Bible college. Through this, my worship became deeply rooted in both word and spirit. As time piled up behind me, I kept finding my desire to read Psalms without tripping over Old Testament theology growing with increasing intensity. The psalmist expression caught my heart rather completely, yet I was constantly stumbling over ideas that argued with my life in Christ. The Psalms are certainly unique among Old Testament writings in that they are prayer and they are worship, more than any other portion of the Old Covenant Scriptures. I love it all, but my attention to the Psalms kept nagging. In 2008 or so, I began writing, not because I was smart, but because I was hungry. I published Jesus in the House of David, the Psalms through a New Covenant Lens, in 2011, expecting at least some healthy criticism, but received deafening silence instead. I knew that the seed of the work was good, but came to realize that I had failed in a couple of things. First, I had left enough Old Covenant theology in it to cancel out the effect that I was hoping for. Secondly, the thought flow was cumbersome still mired in what I saw as loyalty to the original language. The book somehow failed to break all the way into Holy Spirit light of Jesus. The revelation of direct access to Father was somehow obscured. A valiant effort and a clear first step. A few months ago, 11 years since publishing, in my times of morning devotion with God, Holy Spirit directed me to begin a rewrite of Jesus in the house of David. Simultaneously, our group of praying people has been experiencing an increased ability to abide in Holy Spirit presence, abiding in our oneness. Through many revelations and the experience of a particular kind of order being established among us, we find ourselves concurrently in motion and at rest. It has the motion of ever-deepening revelation and the ensuing life adjustments. It also contains the resting of abiding in the place of abiding. Writings of this unfolding revelation will continue to be released by individuals as the right time presents itself through abiding. We are particularly interested at this time in a regional house of prayer for all nations hear denominations for the region. The Psalm 133 unity of the priesthood of believers in each region of the earth is God's current place of attention. Abide as individuals. Abide as a body within regions. Poises us to abide in the evangel to the nations. In fact, the entire creation is said to be on tiptoe, fully attentive and fully awaiting the revealing of the sons of God. All creation aches and groans for us to become who we are. We are one with God. We are becoming one with God. So this current work fits into the paradigm of abiding bringing all of our conscious awareness into the place where we are fully and truly one in spirit-to-spirit -spirit union with God. 
finding the living room of God and never moving out. Conceptually simple, but absolutely splendid when it becomes the reality of our life. Seeing from the expanded view afforded by being one with Holy Spirit. Our body was birthed, fully equipped to relate to the world. Our spirit was birthed, fully equipped to relate to God. Our spirit was birthed in order to give us relationship with God. The fact that people have underdeveloped or undeveloped spirits should surprise us no more than a person who grows up in a basement with no access to the outside world would be expected to have a well-developed sense of the world. The purpose of this work, therefore, is to encourage the relationship that every person born of spirit is organically connected to, namely a deep and intercoursing relationship of our spirit with Holy Spirit. This now brings us to a place of focus, and our focus comes through a particular lens. Let's now focus on the lens through which we'll focus. <laughs> Sounds playful, huh? Yep. It's full of fun and adventure and bends the natural mind so much that it will force us to repent, to turn our flesh mind in and exchange it for the mind of Christ which the scriptures assure us that we have. The lens, this vast and interweaving relationship with God through Holy Spirit is the focus of this book. Using the Psalms of David through a Jesus view of God to reveal and encourage what the Apostle John described with the word abide and abiding. John used this Greek word meno, M-E-N-O, 40 times in his gospel account and 26 more times in his other writings. Here is the Strong's version of Minnow, number G3306. Minnow, a primary verb to stay in a given place, state, relation, or expectancy. Abide. Continue, dwell, endure, be present, remain, stand, tarry for thine own. So clearly, abide does not mean come in for a visit and leave again. It means to come in and stay. To be present and remain present in the place of oneness with God. Please note that oneness has a place it's not merely a concept. There is an actual place designed for this interaction to take place. The thing for us is to move us into it. I must move me into there. I cannot allow myself to feel content that I have revelation about my abiding place. I must now do two things about that revelation. The abiding place, number one, I must locate it. Spiritual address and spiritual GPS. Number two, I must exercise my will to stay. Like simple dog commands, sit and stay become crucial realities for my submitted will to enforce. When I was about five years old, my father bought a secondhand car. 
perhaps an old Pontiac that he asked his friend Buddy to take for a test drive for him and give assessment on the condition of the vehicle and what it might need for adjustment and repair. Buddy was a tough little lumberjack, about five foot two, who was all go, and used the spoken word like a machine gunner using bullets. His excited stammer got more provoked the more excited he got. Buddy returned from his excursion with the Pontiac, and when Dad asked him what he thought, he burst out, my, 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 my God, Ken, the only time I hit the road is when I crossed it. Buddy's experience with that old Pontiac is quite similar to the experience of most Christians. They have fleeting moments of intersection with Holy Spirit, Occasional times when the path they walk crosses the way of God, but the only time they hit the road of God is when they cross it. Jesus did not include this haphazard way that we call walking with God in his instructions to us about actually walking with God. He used John to emphasize the word abide and abiding 66 times. That's the same number of times as the number of books that are in the Bible. Wonder if God is speaking in the details. What if the purpose of the whole book boils down to coming to Jesus and never leaving him and his point of view? We are designed to come into oneness with God and to spend the rest of our lives experiencing all our conscious awareness of life through that oneness, through our abiding place. Our haphazard life has gotten us haphazard results, not the faithful and dependable results that the Word of God promises. For instance, how about this faithful and dependable promise regarding what we can expect to happen when we pray? And I quote John 15, 7, New Living Translation, But if you remain abide in me and my words remain abide in you you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted if you remain in me and my words remain in you you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted if we abide we may take the results for granted that sure is an interesting concept not one that we hear preached all that much, I think. Let's tighten up our focus even more. On February 19th, 2022, I had an instructional dream with no moving pictures, only the word of the Lord with untiring emphasis. I woke up to living in the reality of a loop of God that spoke the words, finalize, finish, complete, Finalize, finish, complete. Finalize, finish, complete. And no, it was not just three times. It had a built-in sense of eternity. I woke up and it had been saying this forever already. When I was awake, it kept on saying it forever. Finalize finish, complete. To this very moment, it continues. Finalize, finish, complete. 
I woke up with the powerful command calling everything in me to fall in line to submit my will to this trumpet call of heaven. It was accompanied by a snapshot picture, photo, not video. Both word and picture still ring as an emphatic insistence to not change the size of the socket on the socket wrench until the current work is completed. The socket wrench was a single image in my hand. I was a type, not just me. It was not a moving picture show like most dreams. And although it was instructive to me personally, it was a picture of my body as the body of Christ, both a personal and a body-wide word. Ten days later, on February 29th of the same year, the clear instruction of the Lord came to me saying, You are always in a room with my people. You are always in a room with me. The room is spirit. You are one with me. My people are one with me. Whoever is in the light is in the same room. Whoever walks in the light walk together. He held up two fingers and continued. Two steps. One, get good at abiding. Two, build a house of prayer for the region. The house of prayer is for establishing two things. Number one, intercession for individuals to be drawn in to abide in oneness with me. Number two, intercession for acts and appointments of love that will excavate unity, that the world may know me. All of this came in a season of frequent fasting and frequent instruction regarding the order of the Lord. In our prayer grouping, we have been circling the reality of our oneness, our one spirit-to-spirit union with the Lord. One day around the same time as the dream and the instruction, the word came into our group through a brother of the abiding found in John 15. We sat in awe as the Lord caressed our spirits regarding the beauty and the glory and the certainty that comes through abiding. Holy moment. We've had many over the past two to three years, ever increasing. The rewrite of Jesus in the house of David immediately came under the authority of the beauty of abiding. It had already, in the process, been prepared for it. It was already there. This word merely made it crystal clear. The word koinonia shows up a lot in this document. My basis for understanding the heart of koinonia is the scripture in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. New American Standard, quote, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship. Greek word koinonia. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, koinonia with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. Koinonia is the fellowship that is shared in the light of his presence. Koinonia fellowship is not a group of light bulbs disconnected from their light source enjoying one another's company. It is a group of light bulbs shining from the source of all light and walking together in that shared light of source 
through each unique expression. The word ecclesia also appears frequently in this book. Ecclesia means assembly and was used for any assembly and often for public assemblies. The small town town meeting is an assembly. It's an expression of ecclesia. Ecclesia, as it is used in Scripture pertaining to the body of Christ, is simply the gathering of two or three or more. Jesus described this as wherever two or three are gathered in my name, purpose, there I am in the midst. In this way, koinonia, fellowship, is most like a rhema word. It's alive and waiting to happen. Well, ecclesia, assembly, is more like a logos word written and waiting to come alive. The ecclesia, the gathering, is the planned gathering. The koinonia is the existing oneness ready for either ecclesia, planned appointments or assembly, or the spontaneous appointments of God. I should also explain my odd use of the phrase spirit slash spirit. It's small S-P-I-R-I-T slash capital S-P-I-R-I-T. When you read it, just say spirit oneness. However, I could not resist writing it like this because of its graphic nature. It is not just the oneness of one. It is the oneness of two. My spirit and Holy Spirit. And then when we talk about koinonia and ecclesia, it is the oneness of many. Psalm 133 states, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity, when the many are one. When the many are one, they act as one priest, one priesthood, and the anointing covers them from head to toe. Isn't that what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? One further thought about this, quote, translation, end quote, of Psalms into New Covenant expression. There are several psalms that theologians have named the imprecatory psalms. They are psalms that either call for cursing enemies or describing the harm of people and or people groups for the sake of the superior group. Jesus did or indicated two things that completely upside downs our understanding of that concept. The first is the revelation of Jesus' superiority over demons. Before Jesus, nobody ever had cast a demon out of anyone, to my knowledge. So instead of doing away with enemies who carried or expressed unclean spirits, as Jesus called them, Jesus showed us how to separate those spirits from our so-called enemies who, free from that influence of evil, could now become our friends. Other places in the New Testament indicate that our fight is never against flesh and blood, people, but always against differing authority levels of unclean spirits. Regarding cursing enemies, Jesus said, quote, You have heard that it was said, and he quotes, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, end of his quote. But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. From Matthew chapter 5, 
verses 43 through 45 in the New American Standard. Right here, Jesus turns cursing into blessing as a means of demonstration of an attraction to God. Pray for, do not curse those who abuse you. Now, let's step across the threshold. Let's find our abiding place. Let's learn to abide in our spirit-to-spirit oneness with God. End of episode one. Episode two will begin with Psalm one. Have a great day.